Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Raina Hirsch's Proms in the Pub. My name is Raina Hirsch. I am a conductor and comedian, and this is the very last episode in series one of my podcast about the BBC Proms. Well, here we are. We've reached the end of a very long journey talking to 16 people along the way, all of whom have some connection with the proms. Maybe you've listened all the way through. Maybe you're just listening to this final episode. Well, this is our own look back at some of the favourite moments we've had uh, talking to those 16 interviewees. If you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the episodes, this is your moment, folks, to go back and download any one of them and enjoy them in their own right. The more downloads we get, the greater the chance we have of being able to afford a whole pint at uh, this pub that we've taken up residence in over the last few weeks. So um, here we are, right at the end of our podcast series, and it has been a great pleasure to do it. A process of discovery as well for me, although I've been coming to the problems for going to the problems for well, 40 years, a long time anyway. Yeah, to attend it as a proper festival goer might attend it. I always used to think of it as a standalone concerts which I went to. You know, you went to the proms and you came home again and that was that. And I never really pieced it together into a festival, which I now realise it very much is. And I've got that from a few sources. I think I got that also from uh, the promers, you know, talking to the promers. That these are people who set aside eight weeks to do this and to, and to participate in a, an event that, you know, with their mates, hear music with their friends. Um, they are the kind of, they are the fixed unit and these groups come in and out, are wheeled in and out for their, you know, entertainment. And I remember particularly when we were doing that Promise podcast, there was one guy who popped up at the end and said a couple of interesting things. Why is position so important? Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? Well, yeah. Because people like to have their spots, you know. It's uh, Yeah, so, some, so some people are more determined to get their position than others. Um, it, it's, it's, it's the fight for the rail, is of course, is the main thing. Some people can get quite upset that they get here early, but they don't get on the rail. So there can be a bit of, you know... Things that, that's that cover to things, you know, it's very much sort of there's, there's the rail, and once you don't get on the rail... You know, I mean, I'm not on the rail this evening and I'm seeing the queue go up and think, well, I'm not on, not on the rail. So it doesn't really matter, you know, sort of third or fourth back. It's not so much of a problem. But that's that coveted rail spot can be, uh, can be quite hard fought over. Yeah, definitely. Only about 25 people can stand. Well, on that's that. it. That's it. That's why it's so, uh, so fought after. Yeah, yeah. But some people, they will, they will literally, they will do whatever it takes. They, yeah. Well, I mean, they, they still come, even though with the different ticketing, different queuing system this year, they still come, you know, nine o'clock to get those early raffle ticket numbers yeah. so that they can get on the rail. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, where else do you get to hear such great music for such a reasonable price? I mean, I always go take back to the 2013, the ring cycle, you know, for £35. I got to hear a Baron Boyum ring cycle with the greatest cast of European singers. You know, if I wanted to see that as a someone who bought the tickets, I mean, that would be 
hundreds of pounds, hundreds of pounds. And people on the, on the arena, yes, we had to stand for 20 hours. And yes, several people had to attend several courses of physiotherapy afterwards um, to recover from the fact that they had to stand for 20 hours over the course of a week, but they still got to experience it. You know, where else? It's totally unique, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's an interesting, that's a really interesting uh, perspective. You know, they, it's one of those things, if they created it now, it wouldn't be allowed. You know, <laughs> can you imagine the health security bias car codes that must be broken? You know, but, it, but since it's been since it's a tradition, it's it's, accept, it's acceptable. But uh, yeah, try and try and introduce it now, and you might have uh, you might you might struggle. I think. I thought that was really good because going to events is expensive, isn't it? You know, classical concerts, the opera, the opera is right. You'd spend 120 quid, easy going to one item in the ring cycle, there are four, so that's 500 quid. And they stood in, you know, they stood and watched the whole thing for, what, 30 quid. Um, going right back to the beginning, our first interview was with Tasman Little, who happens to be a neighbour of mine. Well, not exactly. If I had a very, very strong arm, like, you know, superhuman Marvel Comics arm, I could throw a stone into her back garden. But she's such a lively personality, such a great person. She's had experience of actually standing on that stage and was the first person to describe that to us, which I thought was really interesting. And uh, talked about the life of the concert soloist and in particular performing, <laughs> you know, as a soloist with orchestra. And bear in mind, if you play violin, half the people behind you also play the violin. So that, you know, that's, there's a bit of tension right there. Well, I'll let her describe it, but, you know, having performed and having that experience play out. Here's, this is Tasmanian Little. The, the New York Phil, I was playing the Tchaikovsky Concerto with them, and I was very aware that every single player on stage would be able to do a pretty passable job. Um, and some of them did not only look at me with narrowed eyes, ah. but practice really loudly outside my dressing room. Really? The Tchaikovsky. Really? Just to, you know, show me that I was on stage with people that knew how to do it. I've rarely encountered that um, with another orchestra they, where, where lots of players congregate outside and play the piece they, that you're about to They are famously play. a bunch of bastards, aren't they? Oh, I didn't say that. They are. But, no, and actually, in fact, lots of them did come up to me afterwards and were very nice. But we, just to begin with, wow. I think there was a little bit of a, shall we see if we can psych her out kind of thing. Those are the kind of things you don't think of as, a, as an audience member, that there is this relationship. And it's not always supportive. <laughs> Mostly it is. And the reason why people are in orchestras is because they didn't want to be soloists. Being a soloist means standing up there and going, look at me, this is how well I can do something. Your intonation, your tuning has to be absolutely perfect. Your technique, your ability to get around the instrument, your bowing, all that kind of stuff. And the reason why people are in orchestra is they generally didn't want to do that. The concert master is a different story. The person who sits at the front, the first violinist, is also a soloist, has to be, because they play on their own when there are little moments that solo in the um, orchestral texture. But although people kind of amb have ambitions to do that, there are different types. It's a completely different career. You're not sitting in front of a lot of budding soloists or standing in front of a lot of budding soloists. Ivan Hewitt is also... Well, not exactly another neighbour. I think I could probably hit his back garden with my stone, my marble comic stone, easier than I could hit Tasmin's. He had, uh, he's got such a wealth of experience, Ivan, because, you know, he's been a professional proms attender for, you know, donkey's years. So naturally he's attended at the Albert Hall and thought a lot about what the Albert Hall is like as a venue. I personally had my sincere doubts about it, but um, it surprised me to find out that he actually kind of, he respects it. It's clearly where the prompt is now, and that can't be changed. So let's enjoy it. This is what he said. It's a big place, holds nearly 6,000 people. It's especially well suited to, I mean, not just orchestral music, but big orchestral music, you know, uh, with, with chorus, you know. So this year's season starts with the Verdi's Requiem, and then that suits the, that suits the hall really well. It also suits Mahler's symphonies very well, because you can put the offstage brass in a place where it actually sounds really good, 
are not like they've just been tucked outside the artist entrance, you know, and it sounds a bit naff, as, yeah. it, can, as it can do in other halls. Uh, in the Albert Hall, it sounds really good. And you know what? We did that interview a week before the prom started, actually, getting a couple under our belts. And um, the more the proms went on, the more I realised how right Ivan was. The way it comes into its own is in these massive performances, like Holst the Planets or Mahler's Second Symphony, which has got these choirs and soloists and an orchestra of a thousand and people whacking stuff. And Mahler Seventh Symphony, much discussed with its cowbells. <laughs> cowbells and mandolin. That was like the random, most random thing. A mandolin? Like, in all, amongst all this sound, you've got some going, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it's just so odd. But anyway, he's right. The big pieces, that's where the proms, it's absolutely at its best. Though, yeah, you know, I don't always appreciate the kind of very variable quality of the sound when, when you're not there. I think even standing in the arena is not always that great because I think the sound goes over your head. I went yesterday and I was sitting up in the uh, sort of upper circle directly opposite the orchestra, and I thought that was a pretty good sound, actually. Not the place you'd immediately identify, but there it is. Anyway, that was high. That was Ivan on the nature of the venue. One other interview we did very early on, before the prom started, was with my former piano teacher, Norma Fisher, uh, who touched me uh, with stories that I'd forgotten, and I know touched a lot of people who listen to the podcast. You know, these days, uh, being any kind of performer or, you know, influencer, it's always about being up, presenting your best side, how brilliant you are and how wonderful it is. And that's a thing, I think, in the, pres in the presentation of the proms as well. At the moment, everything is brilliant, fantastic, great, wonderful. Tommy Pearson alluded to that. And here is a woman who actually suffered a, a most terrible kind of experience, really. Just a random thing, could have happened to anybody, but spoke most uh, touchingly about, you know, how it affected her. Now, the second time you played the Rahmanov Second Piano Concerto was with a someone I also studied, George Hurst. And um, there was an episode. Uh, uh, tell us what happened. Well, I mean, it's just interesting because when I was... In invited to do that particular prom, I noted it was with the BBC Northern Orchestra. Now known as the BBC Philharmonic. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, the moment I heard the choice of orchestra, I, something inside froze. Because the year before, they made their debut at the proms. And the soloist with them was Vlado Pelmater. All right. So Vlado Pelmater, famous... Uh, where, did, where was he? French. French, French that's right. F famous for, for, for French repertoire. And I saw him a few times, actually, towards the end of his career. Vlado Pelmater had a terrible reputation for memory lapses. Mm. Terrible, absolutely terrible throughout his career. Mm. So the year before, he played the Schumann Piano Concerto with the BBC Northern and in the third movement and it's notorious for being problematic mm. he went round and round in circles yeah it's got bits that come back it's in one it's a famous conductor piece because it's in one that movement and the, and the rhythm goes across the one and um, you've got to kind of show something as a good. It's not just Palamotta. So many pianists have come a cropper <laughs> with that movement. Anyway, of course there, and there was a lot of publicity about it. So the moment I heard I was playing with the BBC Northern, something in my mind stuck. I recalled, oh my God. Perlamotta had this disaster with the Schumann. And 
I thought that I had, you know, just I, it didn't occur to me that it had planted a seed which remained. And um, it shouldn't have happened, of course. I'd been playing the second Rachmaninoff from the age of 15. I'd played it the year before at the proms. And it standing on my head and back to front, blindfold, whatever you like. But I suppose that the seed that was planted was obviously going to grow was going to become whatever. And second movement, um, suddenly my brain stopped. Just couldn't remember what came next. My fingers couldn't remember. I It was a total blank, suddenly. It was a split second thing I recall in this had never happened to me before and to happen on such a platform and I looked up at George Hurst who stepped down with his full score I didn't I didn't have my glasses on and I at that time I didn't wear contact lenses so he showed me the full score. It all happened within seconds. I mean, would you, just like that, be able to spot the piano part in the full score? No. No, and there's another thing, which is that you study the music from a particular edition, which has the exactly. page turns in a certain exactly. place. It has got exactly. markings you put in, and all but that makes it yours. I couldn't see it, and I didn't need to see it. If you know what. It was John. He stepped down, showed me, went back, we continued. How? I don't know. But my fingers knew, of course, what to do. And at the end, there was an evasion such as you've never heard. Because the proms are, you know, the promers are generous people and anything like that. You know, I triumphed over whatever it was. And um, I just remember George, he was so, so sweet. He put his arms around me and he said, Norma, join the club. You're welcome. And of course, I, I mean, all I could feel was this incredible sense of relief. And he helped, of course, so... Um, but again, I don't know whether I ever told you this story because I'm in my dressing room with this feeling of wow, I did it, I got through the, this awful thing happened. But but in the end, we triumphed. My teacher walked in, yeah, yeah. Kabosh, and I remember saying to sort of shake him with excitement, Lana. I got through, I did it, I got through, I did it. And she looked at me and she said, Darling, you will wake up in the night and realise what you've done. Bringing me down to earth with a whatever, a crashes. And she was right. Because I had this nightmare the night after and it took me a long time to actually recover from that I remember I went straight away on holiday you know to, to try and forget about it and um, it was quite something she went on to say actually that she thought that her teacher coming to say that to her was deeply wrong and I can identify that myself by the way Norma's voice obviously slight where difficult way of speaking is part of the focal dystonia, which was, and which is the reason why she had to give up playing the piano as a soloist. But she's much loved by all her former pupils, me included. I'm jolly grateful she agreed to speak to us and share those very honest moments from her life at the beginning of the 60s. And we've got an insight into what life was like 
for people, you know, uh, trying to build a career in music. Another person who spoke about that uh, was the baritone Benjamin Apple. He appeared in Nielsen's Third Symphony at the Proms, a performance I really enjoyed, actually, absolutely loved. But Benjamin talked about Ben, talked about um, studying with a great teacher, very famous, a baritone leader singer, German song, art song singer, Dietrich Fischer. Discal, an absolute byword in that field, and how he had attended a masterclass where something I think quite terrible happened actually, um, though we we talked gently about it. This is this is the story. With me he was wonderful. He was really very nice, but with others he was quite quite brutal and cruel. Can you remember something he did that was brutal and cruel? Well, for example, there was a song. She actually chose this song for her in the end. Um, she was a student of his wife, uh, a song called Der Zwerg, The Dwarf by Schubert, uh, which is a story about a, a queen and a little dwarf, of course, and a na narrator. And before this lady walked on, she was a little Korean uh, soprano, of course, very obedient. And um, so she walked on, and he said before uh, she started singing, so now we have a curiosity, a young soprano comes with a baritone piece. Um, I think it's such a bad idea, but let's see if she will be able to cope with it. And she started singing, and after one and a half pages, he stopped and said, Ah, terrible, terrible, terrible. You can't sing this song. You don't understand the song. There are three characters. You, I don't feel any difference. I don't know where to start. It's really so bad. Let's stop here. And she stood there and didn't say anything, of course, didn't want to upset him and didn't really mention that he chose a song for her. Um, and so he, that was, that was a very nasty moment. That resonated with me because, as I said during that interview, I've had similar experiences myself and I think a lot of people have. I think out there are a lot of teachers who are teaching merely because they have had big careers, but not because they can actually teach. Um, giving feedback is an absolute skill, and especially pe when, people are being, when people are exposing themselves, such as in a masterclass in front of an audience, and to effectively score points, which is really what I'm reading about that. It's to be the powerful person uh, saying, you know, away with you, you're not good enough. Uh, by the way, as I also said in that interview, is there anybody who's ever done anything that hasn't at some point been told not to do it? You know, it's a kind of, it's almost like <laughs> a badge of, 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 of uh, you know, um, life marker in the career of lots of artists told to give up and do something else. There is that aspect, but those moments stick with you and they're not good moments. And if you battled through them and achieved something despite that, that is a testament to your own bloody-minded, you know, spirit, rather than it is to uh, the proving nature, I mean, proving in the old-fashioned way, of any teacher who's tried to stand in your way. You, you don't succeed generally that way. You are massively put off, and it's most destructive. He also said, Ben, what was the difference, I asked him, what was the difference between the UK and Germany? He said, straight away, the fees. <laughs> Which is to say that fees in the UK are pathetic, really, compared to continental Europe. They're really low, and they're even lower for the proms. Well, the proms has a special story to tell. And one of the people we didn't have time to hear from during the series, but whom we interviewed, was uh, Tom Hull, Thomas Hull, uh, who is with an organisation called Maestro Arts, which is one of the agencies that sells artists to the proms. The people that stand up there are earning a living, and fees have to be negotiated, and Tom is one of the people that negotiate those fees. And uh, we talked to him a bit about what that meant. The fee question, let's just put this in some sort of context, without mentioning any individuals, mm. but there are pianists out there yes. who have a very fixed fee, no matter what they do. Yeah. And that fixed fee is in the order of 10,000 quid. Yeah. And whatever it is they're going to do, 
they, there's yeah. no negotiation yeah. goes on. If you want that pianist, that's what you're going to pay. And that those kinds of pianists would be really at the top of the profession. Really, yes. they'd be one of the names out yes. there. Yeah. Very few people could frankly do that because there's a lot of, there's negotiation that goes yeah. on. Yeah, well, you have to be prepared for things. Things won't happen. A lot of people can't afford that. Yeah. So. Below that, um, you're talking somebody you know who might be who's playing a concerto uh, for one of the bigger promoters. When the audience turns up doesn't actually know the name of the pianist, yeah. but they recognise the okay. concerto. And those kinds of people, well, we're talking probably 500 quid, something like that? Well, I mean, it depends on the orchestra, but again, this, this is how this, this piece of string is mm. impossible to know. Well, I'm, I'm cutting where out the piece of string. Where can we tell the knots, yeah. But where, that's, where not, that's not an Okay, no, starting out, yes, 500 quid for starting out. I don't think anyone should, should play a concerto for less than 500 quid, yeah. no matter who you are. Because, yeah, I mean, just but they the, do. Let's, that's yes, the fact. But, well, yeah, I mean, and then I think... Once you start to get established, you know, fifteen hundred quid to two thousand is perfectly acceptable. Most orchestras can pay that. Yeah. Um, then next next round goes up to the three mark, and then five incrementally. So it's yeah. a, um, you know, I I think these days and and everyone really has to be realistic. If you come with knowing that there's name and your box office and you know what you can, you know. I know what every venue can generate income-wise. I know what the orchestra, the orchestra budget is. I, I, I will always try and pitch a fee that is, that is sensible. Yeah, you know, that is appropriate to what their income either is likely to be from box office or yeah. what, the, you know, certain orchestras are famously better off than others. Exactly. And okay, so that we've got that sort of vague idea in our minds. Now we turn to the proms. Yes. And if you had to put a percentage on what is paid at the proms as compared to those fees that we've just discussed. Mm -hmm. Are we talking 50%, 30%? No, it depends because I suppose it's all built on, there's, there's the concert, yep. you get a live relay, you always get a repeat. But the, 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 and the, then you get paid for it when it's played. So, so that's it's built on that. So I think maybe, God, to pluck a figure from the air, it's probably one hopes to get a fee that's sixty percent of of elsewhere, mm. and then that's made up by the broadcast and repeats. So it works out that kind of way. Yeah. So um, we give them that slack because you know, it's, it radio exposure is of course they should pay for it, but it's radio exposure, so it's it's a it's a good thing to do, and it's the same. So, and as long as um, I don't mind agreeing let, let lower fees if material is then um, exploited elsewhere, as long as the artist gets a share, you know, so that's the same with recording and streaming and all this type. So as long as uh, even if it's it's one P for a stream, they should get that one P, you know, so I try not to agree to, to buyouts. As long as everyone knows if something's a success, if everyone shares it, then that's great. One of the people I hadn't met before we started this, and there were half of them I hadn't met before, was a delightful person, Roxana Punifnik who is a composer and had written a piece for the last night of the proms. Had a piece commissioned. I remember just saying, this is the best gig a composer can get and I can see why. Such high exposure. But um, she was delightfully honest and refreshingly, you know, concise <laughs> with her answers, which was fantastic. And, um, but this is a world I kind of was a little bit unfamiliar with, talking to a composer uh, like that. Um, I was, I did a lot of research, I tried to do a lot of research about all our guests and find out who they were and you know what made them think the way they did. But one of the things I came across was a list of her pieces that she had written and it's a long long list going right back to the early noughties when she was just beginning her serious composing career, that's to say after having been a student and all the rest of it. I thought it'd be fun to involve her in a quiz show which I created especially for Roxana called I Wrote That. <laughs> she had three possible answers to names of pieces I read out. One was I wrote that. The other was I didn't write that. And the third was I kind of wrote that. Anyway, here we are halfway through the quiz with her tackling one of the I wrote that questions. The digital stethoscope and the bear. I incorporated that. The, I kind of wrote that. I kind of wrote that, sorry, I kind of wrote that. Tell us, tell us how you kind of wrote that. Okay, so um, I was writing a piece called Heartfelt for the Sokoni Quartet, and I'd just been reading a book um, about the demise of dancing bears in Bulgaria. 
and um, and I really wanted to to write a musical piece about them. I was so moved by their plight and their rescue. Um, and heartfelt was about the heart and and heartbeats. And I I wondered whether a bear's heartbeat sounded different to human ones. And then I searched and searched everywhere. You would think that you would find a bear's heartbeat somewhere on the internet, YouTube, somewhere. There's some no, loony out there nothing. that's done it, no. Yes, nothing, nothing. Yeah. And um, so I wrote to every zoo and zoological society in the UK and they completely ignored me and obviously thought I was completely crazy. And finally, in desperation, I put a post on Facebook saying, does anybody know any zoo vets? And not only did a cellist friend of mine, Richard May, live next door to Bristol Zoo, he teaches music to the zoo director's children. So he introduced me and within a few days, zoo vet rang me and said, you are so in luck because in 10 days time, we're doing a small surgical procedure on a European brown bear, which is exactly the right kind of bear. Um, and you'll appreciate that um, you can only listen to a bear's heartbeat when it's not awake. Yes. And, um, and I said, great, great, great. And she said, but unfortunately, I can't invite you into the operating theatre to listen to his heartbeat. So what we need is a digital stethoscope that I can record it on, but we don't have one. So we were sort of ringing around various zoos to see if we could borrow somebody's. No one had one. There. Amazon. Well, Amazon. <laughs> I did look on Amazon. And Amazon there wasn't Prime. One. There wasn't one. No, no. <laughs> so anyway, Michelle Zuvet found one somewhere, and I went fifty-fifty with Bristol Zoo, and I'd like that to be in the Guinness World Book of Records as the most obscure use of a commission deposit. Um, <laughs> how much is a digital stethoscope? It was about three hundred and eighty pounds. Hell, and is so, it ever going to be used again? Yes, they are using it all, all the, the time. time. Is it known yes. as the Roxana Punifnik? It digital? Well should be, shouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. It reminds me that, and I did do a course once in composition myself, and spent a year writing crazy pieces, imitating birds and such like. That it's not always easy to write anything, as we all know, hanging around waiting for, you know, the muse to strike is not the way you can get anything done 90% of the time. It reminds me of the story of Ronnie Hazelhurst, who wrote the theme tune to loads of TV shows, including Some Mothers Do Have Them. He famously came up with the melody for that by writing out the words Some Mothers Do Have Them in Morse code and transcribing that rhythm into a tune to be played on the flute. So, you know, what better way to investigate something and, and explore it artistically by actually getting stuck in technically to, you know, the thing you're interested in. Roxana was absolutely delightful and so musical. You could see, you know, we went in her little workroom at the end of her garden in Putney. Julian scooped up her keys on the way out and had to drive all the way back from Brighton to return these keys. Um, other episodes that we had, well, one of our missing interviewees was Lawrence Power, the viola player, who we interviewed very early on in the series about his appearance at the Palms. He was due to play a world premiere of a new concerto written for him, but actually they got delayed. He eventually played James Macmillan's viola concerto, which was written for him very early on in the Palms. I interviewed him in a, uh, he was in his hotel room, I was in London. We recorded both ends of our conversation and we were due to mix that in the edit and it would sound like we're in the same room. Not a trick, just trying to make it sound audible, basically, and pleasant to listen to. And he somehow managed not to press the right button on his iPhone and we didn't record it. And so after all the research and the interview, we didn't actually have Lawrence Power, which is a great shame. If we go to a second series, who's to know we may do that again, and I hope so, because he was a great person. And also a fellow viola player, though I don't think he would necessarily regard me as a fellow viola player, because I'm rubbish on the go. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Obviously, that technical part of creating music, which Roxana was so involved with, was echoed by a very unusual episode in our series, which was with Simon Townley, who's a brilliant guy. He is keyboardist with the Pasadena Roof Orchestra and has had a long history of playing, you know, I'd say, what, cabaret music? I'm not, descri- I'm not sure how to describe it. But anyway, uh, involved, he's a, he's a serious musician, loves his proms, but could actually cross that, you know, help us to understand technically what was going on in the music. And he had devised what he called um, ice cream moments, which is to say moments when your your heart stops, misses a beat, and, you know, the ice cream melts in your mouth, or whatever you want to call it. You've got your own term for it, I'm sure. And rather unlikely, (laughs) he used uh, Mary Poppins, a spoonful of sugar, as his exemplar. And uh, that was absolutely fascinating. Uh, you, used, you, used, you used the phrase diminished sevenths, though, and you thought, oh, yeah, he's done a diminished seventh, and I see we're going to the minor now. The average punter doesn't have your no. ears. No, they don't doesn't... know what is technically going on. But they, I'm sure, would... They'd be in, a tu- in tune with those, that sentiment you expressed, well, in the are, sense of there are these moments there which are these just makes you there stop breathing. There are these breathing. huge moments. Um, and, and they are... I, I don't think it's just me. I think they are an awful lot of people's favourite bits because they get done in concerts and extracts again and again and again, and they are, they are sort of like the big moments out of pieces. So, I mean, even... And, and because composers like Verdi and Wagner and Mahler and Richard Strauss sort of worked out how to do it in the 19th century, in the 20th century, lots and lots of film composers have been able to carry on using some of the, the same tricks. And, I mean, the first one that I ever saw, two years before I went to my first prom, <laughs> at the age of two, I went to see Mary Poppins with my family, and... Was it diminished sevenths, diminished sevenths, and oh, I'm going into the mine. Oh, no, oh, I can't well, wait. Spoonful of sugar, you well, got me. You're, 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 you're absolutely on top of it, but, of course, I didn't know that at the time, but that's exactly what it does. Give Mary, us, Poppins, can, can, Mary Poppins you... is about to leave, right? Mary Poppins is, is saying... She doesn't say goodbye to the kids um, because they're all off having fun flying a kite with their dad and it's all wonderful and everybody's happy and then you realise that she's going to go and that is an awful moment for you because like this wonderful person is, is going to leave and she's not going to say anything and she's just going to tell her umbrella to shut up and she's going to float up to the clouds leaving them behind and it goes literally diminished seventh and the music does that but it's that and it just sort of, whoa, that's when 
that's when you melt. That's the ice cream melting moment in, in Mary Poppins. And yet it's such a... It, and again, this is, common with, this is common with exactly what Verdi and Wagner were doing. It's kind of like the apotheosis of that tune, because it's a trite little tune. It's, it's, it's really not anything. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go... I mean, it couldn't be more rumpty-tumpty as a tune. But then at the end of the film, it comes back in this big sort of symphonic suite with um, tremolando strings and horns... She flies away, and you are heartbroken. Yeah, heartbroken that no better film has been produced since Mary Poppins. Well, that was absolutely delightful um, to have somebody playing the piano, which, of course, I must mention him now, Harry the Piano did, and we had a great interview with him. I loved talking to him here at home uh, with him demonstrating how he does all those things that he did in our in our show. It was an absolute delight to have him, and, and he was the other pianist in our set. The problems is the BBC problems. So we were lucky to be able to speak to people who have been connected to the problems through the BBC. Mostly, I have to say, and I don't mean this in any pejorative sense, they were not players in the sense they were no longer employed by the BBC, and that was great because they could speak slightly off the record. I don't think we'd have got that off anybody currently involved. Tom Service, for example. And here's the funny thing. Tom Service, I actually did bump into him in the Albert Hall at a concert. I know him, actually. I bumped. He was kind enough to review a show of mine in Edinburgh years ago with orchestra and gave me a great review, which is beautiful. So I, what I'm doing, Tom, it's out of love of the man, really. But I did want to, you know, this, this enthusiasm... It's what makes him what he is, and it's great, in a way. But I had a chance to speak to him <laughs> outside the toilets, and you can hear the toilets going away. We'll hear a little bit of, let's hear a little clip from that. An interview that was so short, we didn't have time to play it as part of the series. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Oh, hey, listen, thing. I've actually got Tom service with me. I can't believe it. I've been doing you a lot of this, you from Glasgow, and now I've got the real man. Just say hello. Hello, hello, Rana. How are you? I'm it's a great good. pleasure to see you. We've got the, the lovely, that wonderful sound of the Dysons in the lavatories. How it's are on. the proms going for you? Uh, well, I, I mean, this year above all, it's just being together again. I find the most amazing thing. I remember, like, um, so I, had to, I did my uh, best Petrock impression on the first night because uh, Petrock was sadly indisposed. Uh, so um, I was there on the first night, you know, and just when the, the Verdi Requiem started, you think, you know, that's a piece, the Verdi Requiem, the proms, everyone together, you know, it's kind of like Belt and Braces programming, but, you know, knowing that the symphony chorus hadn't been together in this hall for three years, and just that feeling of, I feel like everything's renewed through the thing about just us all being together and being with Aurora, I mean, I'm so, I just feel so unbelievably lucky to work with them on those projects where they, I mean, unbelievable, they're memorising those symphonies. To be, you know, to be on that stage with them and to feel that, to feel a full hole like that. I mean, it just is. It, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. What are you looking forward to in the in the last few weeks? We've got we're coming last up to weeks. the last. We're in the closing well, stretch now. Yeah, aren't we? I've got um, uh, was well, the, the the Berlin film. Mala Seven. Or or yeah, the Mala Seven. Viola Concerto. Well, I th I th both ideally, but I'm going to be here on the on the Mala Seven night because I'll, I'll be presenting the London Symphony at a late night. So I'm hoping I can squeeze into the early. You know, the upbeat, the Berlin film on the Saturday. With any luck, they'll let me in. But, you know, who knows? What's your, uh, is Mahler 7 your favourite Mahler symphony? Uh, no, but... Uh, well, no, well, it's not that it isn't, actually. It's that I think it's absolutely... I love it. I absolutely love it. Fascinating fact about that, I learned recently, which I'm sure you know, and all your listeners will know, it was the most popular and the most performed in his lifetime. So now it's this kind of... It's not done as much as the others, but it was more popular than the rest of them. I get it, because it's on a... Castrol GTX, and uh, you've got the, the kind of Influenced and Sarai quotations going on. It's a, it's a weird and wonderful thing. No, I love it. I do love it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't love it more than any of because they're, they're all so different. What's uh, your favourite? One or nine. One or nine, yeah. I mean, strange. 
I well, no, I mean, it's, actually, it's been a theme of this podcast that I am not going to Mana 7. I'm going to Schnitke Viola Concerta. Well, also one of Anne Shostakovich's And Shostakovich. Yeah. 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 So, listen, uh, one final thing. Thank you very much for... Uh, Brit- it's, it's the real Tom... I am the real... T- say, I am the real Tom Service. Ich bin der echte Tom Service. Bin ich da. Ich bin hier wirklich auch mit dem kleinen Olympus. Das ist eine Olympus-Maschine. Ich glaube, ich bin nicht sicher, aber ich, ich kenne diese Mikrofon ein sehr bisschen. Aber ich glaube das schon, dass es Olympus... musst du mir immer reiner sagen. Um Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Reiner to me because there are these secret. In fact, Tom and I are not really commentators on music. We're actually German spies reporting back to our handle in Berlin. And one final thing: Would you be so kind as to say, uh, Rainer Hirsch's proms in the pub? It's the place to hear about the proms, or something. Rainer Hirsch's proms in the pub is the place to hear about the proms. People we heard from again, who again who had a great involvement in the proms, but actually no longer participating in that way, Tommy Pearson, which we heard in the podcast before this, and prior to that, the great Rob Cowan. And that man, he's just a a mind of information. I mean, there's no recording he appears not to have heard. There's nobody whose name he can't pronounce. If you've glossed over names, and you come across them quite a lot of foreign names in classical music, you're gonna go, oh, if any's Rolovilov, whatever it is, you just have this kind of version you play. He knows these people. He knows when they recorded things. And he also had a great experience of actually being in that little box and participating as a commentator. And he spoke to us about one very special event. The most memorable prom I ever went to, and it's been described as the most memorable prom ever, was the one in August 1968, when the Russians entered Prague. Now, most famously, Uh, Rostropovich played Dvorak's cello concerto with the USSR State Symphony Orchestra under Yisveni Svetlanov. moved, there were people demonstrating outside the Albert all shouting and screaming, Russians go home and, and all that sort of stuff. But he gave a, a, a pretty terrific performance. Anyway, they did the Vorjak. Rostropovich did an encore, which was uh, one of the Sarabons from a Bach cello suite, uh, uh, from one of the Bach cello suites of Sarabon, tears streaming down his face while he was... Uh, playing it was incredibly moving but don't run away because it was Rostropovich thinking that that was the highlight Rostropovich playing a Czech work and uh, Czechoslovakia had been invaded and all, all the sort of emotional stuff there which of course was tragic and terrible but the real highlight was in the second half which was Shostakovich's 10th symphony conducted by Svetlana which has come out on a dish not in very good sound but it's It was electrifying, electrifying. So Petrenko is going to have to go some with the Berlin Philharmonic to beat Svetlanov and his USSR State Symphony Orchestra. How often we heard that little clip of Shostakovich's 10th Symphony in this series? Because <laughs> I really like that movement. But it was the symphony that never was because that symphony was ditched in favour in favor of Bruckner Fourth Symphony, which the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra did because their conductor was indisposed, is how I described it. But Rob Cowan, what a great man, what a lovely man. So, so heartfelt, so knowledgeable, you know, absolutely um, an authentic voice. And it was wonderful to talk to him. Talking of authentic experiences, what greater experience than to have the pleasure of chatting to somebody who actually conducted loads of proms and also a last night at the proms in 1993, Barry Wordsworth. The greatest respect for that man, 
as I think I said, he's conducted so much difficult music, beguilingly difficult or easy to miss how difficult it is. Um, yet just, you know, he's so clear. If you watch his conducting, everybody knows what's going on. And the players clearly love him. He, can, he conducted in the place of Bramwell Toby at the beginning of the season. And we talked to him about what it was like to stand on that stage and lead possibly the most famous concert in the entire world. Now, one problem that we cannot ignore was 1993, mm. when you did The Last Night. I remember being, in the preparation of it, being absolutely overawed by the idea that it was going to be me doing this. You know, how can this be possible? But then thinking immediately, OK, so you have been asked, now get on with it and do the best you can. Um, and the excitement. I mean, there is, again, more excitement even walking into the last night of the proms because of all the history and tradition of that situation than there is about even about an ordinary night, which is exciting enough. But to walk out of that stage on the last night is just something else. And it, it, it really makes you give of your best, I think. One hopes. Yes. Do you feel the butterflies that night, the doubt? Um, well, again, it's exactly the same. Yes, beforehand. But the moment you start, your brain is so into what you're doing that all the anxiety and the stress and the, that disappears. Yeah. Uh, Do you get paid more for the last night? No. <laughs> that fee thing again. Yeah. You don't even get more for the broadcast. It's all part of it, I think he said. The point is that the proms, and especially the last night, are utterly emblematic. They, they stand for, I think, all that is great about British music making. For a lot of people, they stand, you know, next to the Queen trooping in the colour as something representing Britain. Um, some people, you know, violently dislike the last night because it's a bit jingoistic, or they think they think it is or they think it's not in step with the remainder of the festival. And now, if you've listened to the end of this podcast and you've got a feeling for the expanse of the festival, you know where the last night sits. It is not this standalone event. It is the last night of a very long festival, 72 concerts this year. But that sort of, that kind of badge that the proms is was summed up for me most eloquently by Norman Lebrecht, I have to say, Norman Abrecht, if I mention to people that we spoke to him, there's, he, he, has, he evokes quite strong opinions. I found him a most uh, eloquent and pleasant person to talk to, and I think it's important that he carries on commentating on the world of classical music in the way that he does. I think what people respond to is possibly this is somebody who is challenging cosy opinions. And classical music is full of cosy opinions. It's full of people saying it's all wonderful and brilliant when it isn't. It's full of people pretending it's not boring when it is. It's full of people pretending that, you know, we, you know, if only people would listen to classical music, they'd be utterly converted. Well, that doesn't happen. This is somebody who's being realistic about it. He talks about the business of classical music. And a lot of people prefer to pretend that side of it doesn't exist that somehow this beautiful music is just happening without any of the ugly business of people actually being paid for it. He, he brings that up as a subject and talks about how it can pervert what happens on the concert stage. And that puts people's back up. I think that's a mistake. But um, just apart from all those things he said, he summed up the proms for me, what it means in the most eloquent way. Tell me what the proms is. What is the proms? What does that mean? In whatever terms you care to describe it. It's, um, it's one of those indispensables, like a favourite breakfast cereal. It is something that is a part of our lives because it's always been there, because we were taken there as kids, because we've taken our own kids and maybe our grandchildren there as well. Um, it is something where you know that there is music going on 
right through the hot summer weeks in London. If you go to Berlin, let's bugger all. If you go to Vienna, um, if you go to Prague, there'll be a few students playing in churches. In London, in the heart, actually not in the heart of London, but in, in, in Albertopolis, <laughs> in amongst the museums where the tourists will be going and running in and out all, all through the long day, they can end their day and we can end our day listening to good music at the Royal Albert Hall. In fact, the best music you ever hear at the Royal Albert Hall because the rest of the year it's quite a ragback. And that's what the proms are. And they are more... I mean, they're firstly a civic amenity. They are what makes it worth staying in London through the summer. And then they are a national institution and then they are an international institution because it's a... It is a... It's not a festival because a festival provides refreshments. A festival does other things. You know, a festival is... There are no restaurants around the Royal Albert Hall, are there? You've got to walk miles, you know. I mean, if you want a kebab, you've got to get a bus. <laughs> um, it's, it, there is nothing festive in that sense about the proms. Nothing is actually laid on. You don't feel, apart from those... Have you ever been invited to a box where, where the Royal Albert Hall has provided the... Yeah. The smoked salmon and yeah. stuff. Yes, exactly. But so it, it doesn't have the sense of the package tour that you have in Salzburg or Luzern or Schleswig-Holstein or any of the European festivals or Tanglewood. It is the proms. It is what it is. In, in many ways, it, it is still the thing that Henry Wood invented in 1895, even though it's not in the same place and Henry Wood is possibly no longer alive. It is an institution in the way the five-day cricket is an institution. There may be more popular forms of cricket, there may be better ways of playing cricket, but at the heart of it, when it works, there's nothing better than five-day cricket. And when the proms work, and when the atmosphere is right, and when the programming is right, and when the oiling of the wheels is right, they are outstanding. That sounds um, very hopeful. It sounds like somebody who loves the proms, which mm. I think we, we can both agree on, and um, that by hook or crook, it will still be there in another 120 years. Very hard to imagine it not being there. I mean, just, just really impossible. I remember one, you know, one little BBC gathering somewhere in mid-proms, uh, in the dead of August, and there was an elderly critic there who was in his 90s, and he'd been coming since before the war. And I said to him, has it changed much? He said, no, it's the proms. Yeah, it is about, it is about national identity. It is about... Um, it's about engagement. It's feeling that we own this. We don't own Eurovision. Nobody feels that Eurovision, I may be wrong, I may be disproved, you may, be get, you may get thousands of protests, but I, I don't think anybody feels that Eurovision is part of their intrinsic soul. Um, Glassbury does wonderful things in the same way as Glyndebourne does wonderful things, but they are, um, they're self-standing. The proms is history. We've lived through two world wars with the proms. Henry Wood, at the start of the First World War, said, we're playing Wagner. Bugger the Germans, we're playing Wagner. He's our Wagner, right? They are within their DNA, within their narrative. They have the national story. So there we go, folks. That is our podcast. Rainer Hush's proms in the pub. We certainly deserve a drink now. We hope you've enjoyed it. Please uh, listen back to all the episodes. Please share them with your friends. They will stay up until the dust of the universe finally settles. And I want to thank the team that has been involved with it, most particularly Julian, uh, my producer, colleague, comrade in arms through these last eight weeks. And, of course, Harry the Piano, the wonderful Harry the Piano. Look him up, harrythepiano.com who's provided our little treats at the end of each episode. So what better way to end series one of Rainer Hirsch's Proms in the Pub. If you've loved our podcast, if you like the proms, tune in this time next year 
for series two. What better way though to end than with Harry with his very own special take on Latin of Hope and Glory, the national anthem, even a bit of Dad's Army mixed with our favorite classical music. Thanks for listening.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.